The following podcast is produced on the lands of the Boomerang people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria, Australia. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands, pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back to Bite Your Thumb, a podcast in which I will explore my complete disdain for what is arguably Shakespeare's most well-known play, Romeo and Juliet. Okay, after my very brief break, I am happy to be back with a wonderful episode with a guest who is not only a good friend of mine, but is also a host of another podcast that is part of the Lip Media Network. Well, dang, how many times do you get yourself a podcast crossover? She is the host of One Shot, a podcast that explores explores fan fiction from all corners of internet fandoms, and she is an expert in its dramatic subcultural history. She is also a fantastic producer and director that has until recently worked with Balloon Tree Productions, was a key creative on Love Songs, the first ever professional narrative web series on TikTok, which has millions upon millions of views, and also produced the wonderful Melbourne-based web series Feedback, which, spoiler alert, I appear in two times as a background extra. Watch out for girl dancing in a club and applauding theatre-goer. Yeah, I really worked my acting chops there, so go check it out. I I would appreciate the feedback. (laughs) Yeah, that was gross, I know. Let's move on. I was so thrilled to have the talk that we ended up having, so let's stop waiting and jump into the contrasting worlds of Shakespeare and intense fan fictions with Michelle Melky. podcast so I feel like we have to yeah of course so I feel like we definitely have to establish because obviously you have your show one shot on the lip media network as well but we also have a history before that so we were friends in university that's where we met we have a history we have (laughs) a history that's all you need to know keep the mystery yes we did we did the same degree at university Mm. um which is where we were acquainted, yes. and here we are many years later. Oh my gosh, and look how time flies. We're now pseudo-adults. Well, so, all yeah. sort of. Well, you're definitely more adult than me. Who oh. am I kidding? Okay. <laughs> I'm really glad you ended up with Lip as well, because oh. I can't remember if I was the one who was like, you should do Lip, but you already knew them or something, but... I reckon um, you first... I reckon you may have said, definitely get in touch with Lip. Because yeah. I remember at the time, that's when you were starting to do one shot and then you got connected with Lip and I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. And I started checking out their other shows and that's how I fell into the Gazer Revolting and all that sort of stuff and being like, oh my God, this is the best. Then yeah. I went and did their wonderful, um, their workshop where they talked about um, what you would need to do, what kind of podcast they're looking for and how to get that all started. And then here oh, I am so cool. ages later. And it was actually... Um, the head of Lip Media, shout out to Dan, who um, reached out to me on Instagram and it's like, do you want to join the network? Which was totally brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. that's so good. Yeah, oh, well, so... we're network, network siblings. I don't know. Network siblings. Oh my God. Anyway, <laughs> so that was really, really cool. I also wanted to talk about um, us meeting back at university because that's where I first kind of got introduced to your sort of passion for fan fiction and it was, and you made it very much part of your, no, don't be embarrassed. She's covering her face right now. Do I not be embarrassed. <laughs> it's a thing you should be proud of. Cause I, no one I, else made, well, I made a podcast about it. I'm not embarrassed. Legit. Good. It's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing you like doing presentations about fan fiction and pushing the really academic angle on it was so, so cool. And I think I read or proofread, I think you asked me to proofread your, it was a, a Captain America fan fiction. I think you were doing that as one of your final projects. I think it was actually, it might've been an, an analysis on a Captain America or, or in a companion piece to it. Yeah, I, it was either or, I can't quite remember. I remember that the piece was though a series of like, obviously fictional found media about in a within a like fan fiction world so it was like headlines and news reports about Uh, captain america but that was all obviously like fan fiction so i was doing like a mixed media fan fiction assignment you know i was like (laughs) and it used to be like this is art (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> trying to prove that to our lecturers and they're just sitting there with like glassy eyed like yeah what? I feel like our teachers are like glassy eyed and we're just like just give her like this a decision like get her out just of here let her pass <laughs> and I was just sitting there like oh my god this is genius because I didn't uh, like even though like back I think we all did this like back in high school I dabbled in fan fiction writing but I never took it seriously as an adult after leaving sort of that teenage phase. Yeah, I definitely ridiculed fan fiction at the start of that degree because everyone was so serious. Yeah. Uh, obviously, um, the writing was pretty, like, highbrow stuff. If we haven't said already, we did a creative writing degree. Oh, yep, yep, yep. And, but I feel like throughout that time, as I was sort of, you know, we got to know each other a bit better and I was exposed to new people, we were all like, that's like hilarious, but also amazing that you did fan fiction. And they like had no idea what it was. And I was like, I'm not like one weirdo. There's like millions of girls, predominantly mm. girls who do this. And I was like, wait a minute, why am I like, this is like awesome. Like, I love that I did fan fiction. Mm. And like, I don't know if I ever told you this, but for that course to get in, you had to submit a folio. Yeah. yeah. One of my pieces that I submitted was like a year 12 English piece that I had done, but it was a... One Direction fan fiction. Of course. <laughs> I was, as, soon as, you, as soon as you started telling that story, I was just thinking, I bet it was a One Direction fan fiction. Yeah, and I just sent <laughs> out the names and I gave them regular male names and submitted that for uni and I got in. Amazing! <laughs> that academia. So really you have One Direction to thank for all your success. I was literally saying to my friend the other day that I have to thank One Direction for like everything good in my life. It's, I'm not even saying that as a joke or as like to be a meme. Like no. One Direction has brought me a lot of joy and now my job. Yeah. The boys need to know. They're creating know. Um, creating careers Harry, for young women. Harry, just at me. I want <laughs> I want you to know personal DM will have an experience. Even though I, I actually was a Louis girl. People always say, Oh my god, Harry, but I actually um Ooh. I was there for Louis Tomlinson. Shout out do it the Tomo way. Um but <laughs> yeah, and TikTok is such a great space for one D fans. It's mm. I feel like the combination of like being on One Direction TikTok and the One Direction ten year anniversary, which just past like a week or two weeks ago um, has like revived that in me like that passion for 1D and boy bands in general mm. and actually I will give a shout out um, to there's a documentary Australian documentary that everyone should listening should watch called yes. I Used yes. to Be Normal mm, yes um, and I actually interviewed the director of it for on one shot and she was just incredible and the doco follows like uh, different girls or, and now women because they're older when they mm. were fans of like Backstreet Boys, Take That, The Beatles, and then like a, a new, fresh, like One Direction teenage girl. Mm. Um, and they talk about their, their love of boy bands and like female obsession and fan fiction. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I've never been so seen in my entire life, <laughs> like watching that film. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing trailers for that documentary at Cinema Nova, like, and being like, whoa, what is this? And I still hadn't like gotten on the train of like taking it seriously <laughs> and realizing, oh, wait, fan fiction can be something you know, to be taken seriously, guys. Especially nowadays with um, so many Hollywood feature films being fan fictions. Exactly. Um, that, um, like, After, is it? Is that what yeah. it's called? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was, what, Harry Styles fan fiction? Yeah, it was a Harry Styles Wattpad fan fiction. And obviously everyone knows that Fifty Shades of Grey was a Twilight fan fiction. Mm. Um, and whilst not a fan fiction, The Kissing Booth was a Wattpad, like, original story. No way. Yeah, so very similar to, like, a fan fiction energy. So, oh. yeah, Wattpad have, like, Wattpad studios. They, like, option fan fictions and, like, turn them into original works. So... Mm. If, if not taken seriously, it's definitely being taken seriously for how profitable it can be, which I think is a good thing because then the creators get money for their work. Yeah, absolutely. Like not even five, maybe even 10 years ago, if you said to someone you could make money out of, off of writing fan fiction through, what, through this magical platform called Wattpad, like you would be laughed at. But that's now actually becoming a real thing. Like that's... Yeah. And because it's also, like it is illegal to make money off a of fan, like fan fiction is very copyright ambiguous. Like, oh yeah, you can't, you can't, you cannot make money off a of fan fiction the same way a YouTuber makes money off views, right? Like, there's no paper, paper read thing because the material is owned by someone. But literally, all you have to do change the names, <laughs> and the whole now it's an original work. And then, like, fuck you, Stephanie Meyer, I'll take my money. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not even bring up Stephanie Meyer. I'm oh, reading. I was just going to say that's a whole other kettle of fish. That is something else. Are you reading Midnight Sun? Are you a Twilight person? Oh, uh, I read 
this would have been back in high school. I read the first one and I think I got up to the third book. I'm like, I don't even remember the names of the books anymore. I wasn't really into Twilight. Like I, tr- okay. I tried really hard. I tried so hard. <laughs> okay. I was like, are you reading Midnight Sun? It's like, clearly you're not. It's like, I mean, I'd like to. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's so big. It's somehow 700 pages long and I'm struggling uh, like i'm amazed that it still managed to come out after it got leaked all those years ago i have a group chat that like is full of like i think like six or seven girls are all like super twilight yeah and when we were the countdown on stephanie Meyer's website was happening and i was like (gasps) it's midnight sun bitches like get ready it's gonna be midnight (laughs) and they were like there's no way it's been 15 years and i was like fucking wait turn up and then it was midnight sun and we all lost it now the group chat's called like Midnight Sun Book Club. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like going to be talking about Midnight Sun. <laughs> so have you already finished it? Have you already finished the book? Oh, no. I think one of the girls has, another one's close. I read like 100 pages. I'm taking it easy breezy. And are you just loving it? Is it everything you hoped it would be? Um, <laughs> I feel like I would have loved it definitely 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's now it's just like, Edward's mm. fucking creepy. I don't know. Edward's such yeah. a fucking but like it's it's at twilight so yeah of course yeah, yeah i'm enjoying it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely a different <laughs> experience when you're like i'm in my mid-20s and i've seen shit it's like yeah oh. like i've seen shit and i'm like you know i watch a lot of movies i read a lot of books oh yeah you know, obviously we did a writing degree so you're like i think i deserve to have an opinion on writing and then you read right? that and you're like all right um <laughs> i guess <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot we were talk- meant to be talking about Romeo and Juliet. That's the whole point of my podcast, apparently. Let's get to that. What I usually ask is how you feel about Romeo and Juliet. Are you a lover or a hater? I should have thought about that before we did this. because <laughs> <laughs> What's your organic answer? What's your heart telling you? My heart tells me um, that I think Romeo and Juliet is a, like a good kind of intro to like how to tell a story. Um, hmm. Like it, it, it hits a lot of story beats gets you through A to B, like, I obviously I think it's stupid, but like, (laughs) but it's also, I guess, I don't know, I don't think it's romantic, like, is that bad? Like, it's not. No, I 100% agree with you, like, going through this sort of journey with other people and talking about the play, I've realised, wait, like, society thinks it's a love story, but it's really not, it's about so much other bullshit (laughs) that goes on. And also that Romeo is just like, a fuck boy, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Like, he's a modern day, uh, sorry, he's a Shakespeare time era fuck boy, what we call fuck boy today. Like, mm. he's all hot on Rosalie, and then he's like, oh, Juliet, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. Just, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, he's like a curvy fit bit, and he's like, oh, this is what I'm about. And meanwhile, Juliet's like super innocent, and it's just like, oh my God, a boy likes me. I don't know. Oh, I don't, oh my, I feel yeah. like I should have like done like a Sparks notes recap on Romeo and Juliet but I I think like I feel like it's a good one to study it's like a good intro to the whole Shakespeare thing Mm. and does give you yeah a good overlay of like drama payoff instead of like a comedy of errors it's like a tragedy of errors with the Mm. mistake and poison at the end and oh no everybody loses you should have overcome your mistakes like you know yeah so yeah I guess it's good. That's such a bad. <laughs> I was waiting to hear what you were going to say. It was like this is a very non-committal answer. Like, it's yeah, a story, I, and it has story I, beats. <laughs> <laughs> it has a beginning and an end, and that's all I have to I, say. Yes, <laughs> it's a story. <laughs> I know. I feel so bad. I think it's because I've read, I've read a few Shakespeare's. Yeah, yeah. Both comedies and tragedies, and I feel like. My personal favourite is King Lear out of the ones that I've oh read. Oh my god, that's my mum's favourite as well. That is an excellent one. Uh, I do not claim to be a Shakespeare expert. Oh, I neither read, do I. And I think King Lear is the only one where I was reading it, like not even watching it on stage, but like reading the, the um, script or book. It made me cry. I was like, this mm. is really emotional, really, really sad. And I like shed tears. Whereas none of the others really moved me in that same way. So interesting. King Lear, and I think the reason that King Lear does that for me is that it's like really about family. Um, mm. And Romeo and Juliet is 100% about family, but oh, then it's centered yeah. around this like dumb love story. Mm. Um, where I prefer the kind of drama of King Lear and the daughters. Mm. Um, and I don't know how you say his name Gloucester, Gloucester. It's like he's got the legitimate son. Oh, true. Yeah. Like, and that's all really, he goes blind. Like, that shit's all really sad. 
Mm. Like I kind of prefer that to the um, Romeo and Juliet side of things. Whereas if you're talking about like Much Ado About Nothing, which is like oh. a comedy about romance and relationships, yeah, forget about it. It's fucking awesome. Like it's that is, yeah. You want you want um, um so Beatrice um, and Beatrice um, Claudio, not Claudio. Claudio is the one who gets with Hero. Who's the other one? He has a weird name. Uh, um, who is it? <laughs> I'm gonna Google it. Oh please, um, yeah, Google away. I just want to know. Like I say, like because much ado about nothing. It's what Benedict. Yeah, it's not Benedict. It's Benedict. Which yeah, it's so it's such an odd because they have name. I knew they both started with B. I was like, they yes, have B names. yes, that's um, it. You want them? I want them to hook up and kiss and fight. Like I want it to be all about the romance because it's mm. funny. But then I think in the drama, I prefer the the family stuff. Yeah, yeah, and much ado about nothing. I adore that play. That's definitely one of my favorites. But yes, I actually was going to ask because obviously the love of fan fiction and you starting to develop that and create your own stuff came around around high school so do you feel like because we all studied Shakespeare in high school as teenagers do you feel like studying those kind of stories intersected or played in any way towards you writing your fan fiction or do you feel like they were kind of two separate worlds that's an excellent question I think it didn't, but I think that's because of sexism. Like, I don't think that's because mm. it doesn't make sense or it's wrong to do or anything like that. But I feel like Shakespeare was taken really seriously. Yeah. And when I was coming up in fan fiction, I was like 12, 13. And it wasn't that it wasn't taken seriously. It wasn't anything. Nobody knew that I did it. I would never tell anyone. I was deeply ashamed and embarrassed. Mm. It was a completely online separate life. And as if I would tell anyone about that and as if Shakespeare and that were related things. Like that's how it sort of felt to me. Like Shakespeare was like real writing and then fan fiction was like kind of for fun and to be cheeky and stuff. Mm. Even though Shakespeare is extremely cheeky and sexual, um, like it was just like a different thing. But obviously when I am a bit older, looking back on it, you basically, like, you know, I would say like the Baz Luhrmann adapta- adaptation is kind of like a fan fiction of oh, Romeo and Juliet. absolutely. Yeah, it's, it just goes in a completely insane direction. And, uh, and we covered um, the films in my last episode, but um, I kind of felt like Romeo and Juliet was the lead up to him finding his style and finding his finding his niche going into Moulin Rouge. Like you were kind of saying, I kind of get what you're saying now about the sexism that's kind of inherent in the academic world surrounding Shakespeare. It's a very sort of male dominated space and it's revered and held up on this plinth. But mm-hmm. yeah, when you think about it and you, you talk about this again in your podcast where fan fiction writing is a very female or non-binary, queer, you know, centered world. So it does take a very big departure from Shakespeare in that way it's a different kind of sexiness it's a different kind of shenanigans a different kind of cheekiness which I think is ironic because a lot of the films that that you and I grew up with Mm. um a lot of the films we grew up with were 100% Shakespeare fan fiction 10 things I had about you clueless Mm, Clueless. 10 things I had about you is what we in the fan fiction world would call a modern a high school AU it's a high school alternate universe Mm be a fan fiction mm. essentially and then even within that that film most people you know I think that is an excellent film one of my favorite kind of teen bop rom-com movies mm. um that film's not taken seriously by film people quote unquote no, no way no it is excellent so even when you do get like something that is related to Shakespeare which is like Shakespeare it can still mm. be because its audience is female mm. it's ridiculed yeah it's like, Baby, <laughs> sexism, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hashtag sexism, baby, with three yeah. exclamation. <laughs> there's, there's definitely departures in that kind of way, and how you kind of approach those worlds. But I'm very interested, particularly, especially when I was um, developing ideas for each episode for this show. I kept coming back to fan fiction and wondering if a play like Romeo and Juliet is sort of its format or its beats are unconsciously copied in fan fiction because Romeo and Juliet is very much about the forbidden love, the off-limits love, and I feel like that's very prevalent in fan fiction. Yes, yes, you've nailed it. So this is something I love to talk about because Mm. people will read a fan fiction, or not even that, let's say they watch After, which is based on Harry Styles fan fiction, and I have seen 
you know, Facebook threads and comment sections saying, this is problematic, this film is fucked up, this is a toxic relationship, like, tearing the film to shreds, which I personally think is, I don't think the film's that problematic compared to other, like, YA stuff, but that's another conversation. When I see comments like that, all I want to say to those people is, the, what, 22-year-old girl who wrote that fan fiction is just a mirror reflection of all of the media she has consumed in her Mm. entire life. And that goes for basically all fan fiction, especially for teenagers who are writing. They are just mirroring the the tropes they have seen played out in film, television, books, their entire lives. And we know that so much of the media we consumed is influenced by Shakespeare. And Shakespeare, you know, didn't invent those story arcs, but he definitely popularized them. And Mm. because of you know the western world and education system we have mm. massively romanticized his work and everybody reads shakespeare so yes it unconsciously is there mm. those like story beats of forbidden love and one of my favorite tropes to read in fan fiction is absolutely enemies to lovers oh, which is yeah. very much about nothing like mm. i love enemies to lovers and forbidden love twilight's forbidden love yeah um you know all those kinds of tropes absolutely yeah like i feel like that's so unspoken about and it's just played out as girls are dumb you know they, they are just copying the male narratives that they are sold every day because you can look at you know all of their favorite movies from the last 30 years and books majority majority of those things are written by men or directed by men or written by a man but directed by a woman like you know mm. basically they are just reflecting narratives that they've been sold by sold to given to them by yeah men. and then people are like these 15 year old girls are sex creeps who are racist oh. or sexist or misogynistic yeah. or really toxic male you know toxic relationships blah blah mm. blah it's like, where do you think they get that from yeah exactly and i'm sad to say that i used to think like that i used to look at these fan fictions and be like this is so toxic this is awful why are they thinking like this something is wrong with our teenage girls but you've hit the nail on the head there like it comes from the narratives and the media that we've already been consuming what i've you know sort of been chatting about with my friends who i create work with is Mm. these girls like from our experience in creating work in our experience consumers of these stories is it's not no one cares that edward's a vampire it's not about that it's that they can't be together so there's tension Mm. all they want is the tension element like every I guarantee you every 12-year-old girl knows that Edward being 100 years old is creepy and problematic and disgusting. They know that, but that's, yeah. that's what they're there for. Doesn't matter, they're, yeah. They're there for him to, like, lean in and then want it, but he can't, like, ooh, like, it just makes your body go, like, bleh. Like, yeah. that's what they're there for. And that's, the tension is almost sometimes more important than the kissing or the sex or the, like, it's all about the lead up to those moments Mm. for teenagers but obviously then the release is important as well which is why fan fiction is great because it gives you really like basically sexually explicit content Mm. um that is still tied to emotion because it's fan fiction so it's really different to porn because porn is just like sex content and there's definitely fan fiction that is just sex but even even the fan fiction that is explicitly like you know 1000 words long and it's just two people having sex, mm. it still has emotion attached to it because it's a fan fiction, mm. which means the characters have already been established. There's already all this built emotion to it. So if it's just like a, yeah, like a one shot of like Draco and Harry having sex and it's just sex, mm. it still means something because it's Harry, it's Draco. We know all this stuff about them. Yeah. Even po- like heavily pornographic fan fiction is still really tied to emotion yeah i was thinking about it like i don't know why i was thinking about it this week but i was thinking about the way that young people access pornographic material and erotica and how that very greatly differs between young men and young women or queer people like for young men it's all about the visual aspect it's all about what you can see what you can access and it's all very surface level but especially for young women it's all very tied to emotion and imagination we don't need to see it we can picture it in our heads and we can picture it any way that we like sorry i'm just looking at my notes because of all the stuff we've covered we've done that yeah i've just just wrote down written down in my notes kidnapping romances abusive power dynamics that's fun well yeah fan fiction loves an abusive power dynamic like one of my biggest ships of the last year 
has been um, Kylo Ren and Rey from Star Wars. I have to say that was one of my favorite episodes on the One Shot podcast when you read that Rayleigh fan fiction. That was that uh, blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, because when because that was recorded before the la um the last movie came out. Yes. Oh. So how did you, I was dying to know your reaction to that oh that scene? I'm just like, oh, what did Michelle no, think? So Chelsea the girl I interviewed is um, American. Yeah. She wrote basically, yeah, one of the most popular Raylo fan fictions, which I love. I've read a bunch of times. Um, mm. God, we were so excited for the Rise of Skywalker. Mm. I, I hated the movie start to end. <laughs> yeah. One Same. of the worst movies I have ever seen. Disgusting, mm. terrible. Like, yeah. I've only seen it once. I watched it. I Same. cosplayed. I cosplayed with my friends. We all cosplayed. <sighs> Midnight <sighs> session, you know, very hyped to see this movie and i have you know i have disney plus i could watch it again i'm not watching it like no, i refuse to no, relive no, it because no. i was so disappointed mm. and by the time that they kiss spoilers lol at the end of the movie um i i was so empty of emotion that it did not <laughs> i was honestly empty i was happy in the sense that i was like vindication yeah there together. <laughs> vindication and then and then immediately like completely heartbroken because it just ended yeah, and I just hated what they did with Kylo Ren, and I hated what they did to Ray. I hated the whole thing. So I was like, okay, they're yeah. together. You know, I'm, I'm not crazy. Raylo's confirmed, but also mm. I don't even think it's canon. Like I, the no. last that I was the last Star Wars movie for me. The reason I bring that up is because Raylo is a, you know, potentially pretty toxic relationship. Oh yeah. Because Kylo Ren is like pretty abusive to her in the first movie. Mm. He's obviously got the upper hand power wise yeah um, physically emotionally status wise like all these different things but oh my god i love to ship it like and what what does that say about <laughs> me what does that say about thousands of other women who ship it i don't know i don't know what that says but it's worth interrogating and it's also not worth dismissing what people see in kylo ren and ray mm. and i think a, a really strong comparison for kylo ren in terms of like how can a character like that deserve happiness yeah is um, Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, I don't know if you watch... I assume you like Avatar. Oh, I watched it religiously as a kid in primary school. I watched every single episode. Loved it. Yeah, so Avatar's, like, the best shit of all time. Best show I've ever seen. Yes. Zuko. Zuko has the perfect redemption arc. He gets... Mm. He suffers. He learns. He grows. He pays a price. Like, all all these different great things happen to him. Mm a very similar arc to Kylo Ren but obviously twice triple the amount of time to explore it mm. um so I feel like he is a testament to how someone can go from being abusive essentially and toxic to caring and loving and you know all those mm. different things but like I think that's more of a refined beautiful redemption arc than I've seen in like a Shakespeare play if that's like yeah for sure <laughs> to say I don't know I don't care because I love that <laughs> Oh my god, same. I I would happily do a podcast just about Avatar, like how good it is. Just the antithesis to this podcast. Romeo and Juliet, it. fucking hate it. Avatar, fucking love it. <laughs> call me up. I want to be a guest on that podcast. Whenever you talk about Zuko, call me. That will be every episode then. I'll just talk about every, <laughs> every episode just so I can have an excuse to get you on because that would be <laughs> totes brilliant. Saying all that about Zuko is just like, could like some fuckboy, like, cause you could argue, like we all thought Zuko was a bit of a fuckboy at the beginning, but that he had that redemption. Like, I don't know, would characters like Romeo and Juliet, like, could they, do they deserve a redemption like that? Like, like does Romeo deserve a? Yeah. Cause he's just a dumb young twit. And you know, if they had lived yeah. at the end, could they have been redeemed? If they, if they had lived at the end, they definitely would have had like the worst marriage of all time. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I say the exact same thing about um, Jack and Rose in Titanic. If they had lived together, they probably wouldn't have liked each other all that much. Yeah, yeah, that's some tea. I think, yeah. like, the problem, I feel like, with, you know, does Romeo deserve redemption? Firstly, he gets one, like, in the play. Like, he does get one, I think, yeah. like, himself. Like, mm. that's him being a good person, mm. quote-unquote. Um, yeah, yuck. But I think... The thing is, like, their love and their relationship is essentially just a story device. Like, their mm. relationship's a story device. There's no reason they love each other beyond the characters telling you that they are now in love. It's very much like a lot of young adult rom-com films where the two characters are just suddenly 
in love for no reason because yeah. I just decided to be, mm. which is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But then it's very hard to be like, what happens after Romeo and Juliet? It's like, I don't know. They, uh, they don't have much substance mm. besides being like the two young children of these warring families mm. who then see each other and like, you're hot, you're hot, let's get it. And yeah. then <laughs> like their relationship is just a plot device to motivate the war between the families Mm. and that's basically it right like it's it's not on a surface level besides the beautiful language about like oh like stars in her eyes or like whatever he says when he like says his romance shit yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) insert romance shit all of act two (laughs) like romance monologue whatever besides a beautiful language which is beautiful like there's there's Mm. no romance there really that's why the Baz Luhrmann one is like such great fan fiction because Mm. you think there is a beautiful romance between them like casting Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Oh my God, yes. They have beautiful chemistry. There's gorgeous evocative costumes they wear at the costume party. Oh yeah. The scene where they have sex, like all of that stuff is like very, very romantic and very, Mm. very believable. But then when you watch an older, old fashioned adaptation or you just read the play, you're like, these guys are fucking stupid. Like, this is dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I felt like re-watching the Zeffirelli version, like the 1968 one. Like, it has nothing going for it except the costumes. And it won an Oscar for the costumes, and that was was about it. (laughs) True. (laughs) Like, I still have mixed feelings about the Baz Luhrmann one. Like, I'll watch, I think I'll watch it a couple more times just to see how I really feel about it. But, like, Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio, that was just champagne casting. And like I said um, in my last episode... I'm glad they didn't go with 14-year-old Natalie Portman on that because that would have been bad news <laughs> given that oh, Leo, uh, Leo was 21 at the time and Natalie Portman was 14. Like, you know, that's the story playing out in real life. <laughs> Thank you, Hollywood. Thank you. I love it. Yeah, you know, Scarlett Johansson's like 17 in Lost in Translation. And yeah, true. Bill, Murray, Bill Murray's like 45. I don't know. <laughs> You know what, that's, that's another aspect of Romeo and Juliet that is just so inherent in media. It's the older man and the younger lady, like, and women to aspire to that. And it just tells men, go for the younger ones. They'll fall into your arms. It's like, oh, yuck. Yeah, literally like the grossest thing ever. And I always remember growing up being really, like, doubtful of Claire Danes in that role, I think, because mm. I, thought, I thought when I was a young girl that she wasn't very pretty for some reason mm, because right. i think leo is so attractive and oh i was like gosh. claire danes is like a bit plain now that i'm older i'm like claire danes is stunning and she's yeah. beautiful but i also there was an interesting casting choice because juliet's being you know she's described as being like obviously very very beautiful mm. and claire danes i think is beautiful but i think she also is a bit plain in a good way like she doesn't look yeah. like angela jolie she's not she doesn't look like um what's her name who plays rose um kate kate winslet yeah she's got a very different look about her um which is an interesting choice i think it i think that actually adds to the romance is that Mm. you really think he's in love with her because like to be frank she's not an exotic beauty she is um, a more stripped back Mm. beauty so you kind of really think like wow she must really love her because she's not yeah sex god or whatever yeah and you and i reckon like I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, or form calling Claire Danes ugly because she is so pretty. But like that, maybe that casting choice could have played into, oh, if you don't, she might not be like super beautiful, but that means it could happen to you. It could happen to anyone. Leonardo DiCaprio or the equivalent could find you super beautiful, and maybe that was part of its appeal and why it exploded in the mid '90s and continues to explode. Yeah, I used to think that too. So I, mm. I'm sure that was part of it in a way i think that's definitely influenced some casting choices as of late in more recent young adult um teen oh yeah films definitely yeah. some casting choices where the girls are quote-unquote plain or oh, yeah you know less than you know they don't look like they don't look like megan fox i'm thinking about like joey king in the kissing booth or um lana condor into all the boys i've loved before like much more yeah. regular day-to-day looking people who are beautiful obviously but not um yeah not like exotic hollywood goddesses but at the same time i feel like they've fallen into a trope with those kind of films in particular like like the ones you said like to all the boys i've loved before and yeah the kissing booth but like for except obviously um to all the boys i loved before i feel like most of those films are white 
long brown haired brown eyed girls who are gorgeous yeah. but they're plain like yeah, like to everyone like else Kristen in twilight or Sosha ronan and ladybird like yes like beautiful white women mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's meant to be targeted towards me obviously being like you know the cis white girl but you know that's that's not everyone and hopefully that's going to be well it is changing in small yeah, ways but like you know change like you know, me and the girls watched a movie last night that just came out on Netflix called Work It. It's like a dance movie. Oh, okay. Um, and the lead is this white blonde girl um, who's a, oh, she's like a Disney star was her like right. background. So she was the lead because she's like, was a child star. Yeah. But her co-star, Liza Koshy, who's like a woman of color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, um, she like wipes the floor with her during the movie. She's like a hundred times better acting wise dancing wise like i was like every scene with liza is amazing i'm like why isn't she the main character <laughs> like she's better like mm. she's better she deserves to be the lead but um she's funny mm. and she's known for being funny liza as an influencer yeah. and the film obviously wanted like a weepy drama lead character yeah. which i don't think she would be typecasted as so i was like okay that's why she's not the lead but at the same time you're like she i wanted to see more of her mm, yeah I've, oh, like i i wish that trope would go away of like you know any non-white girl being the white main character's best friend or the sidekick yeah, or the comedic yeah. like can we have enough of that please yeah and i'm sure they'll do they'll do another romeo and juliet reboot thing mm. where everyone's a person of color or something like yes please like um what was that um oh i forget who directed it now but that um adaptation of cinderella where Prince Charming was Asian and Cinderella was um, African-American. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see a lot of it in um, fan casting, like on Tumblr and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, same. I'm like, back when I was on Tumblr, I did see a lot of that. Yeah, definitely one of my favourite um, book series, which, speaking of, another problematic, toxic relationship. Yes, yes, go, yes. <laughs> love to know it, love to have it. Yes. Um, Vampire Academy, do you ever read those? Oh, I didn't read it, but everyone I knew when I was back in high school, um, before I moved to Melbourne, I was at an all girls high school from year seven to year nine. Oh. And that was all anybody could read and watch. I just reread mm. them during the first lockdown. I read yeah. all the books again. And I was like, this is the best shit ever. So I was like, all right, I'm jumping on Vampire Academy Tumblr. And it was, a, there was a lot of like fan casting posts. Yep. Yep. And Rose, who's the lead, they'd made her very dark skinned in their fan casting. And Dimitri, who's the male lead, who's Russian, mm. they made him Asian. And I was like, sure yeah both these people are attractive like yeah what's good doesn't matter yeah, um up? so like yeah fans love to do it but movies don't still yeah they still have a long long way to go unfortunately this is actually i can't believe i haven't mentioned this or i don't think i've ever told you but i realized for oh, yeah. what we're doing right now this is so relevant so yeah. in high school maybe i didn't mention this in uni i don't remember we did like musicals in high school oh and yeah was, yeah look at me I'm like obviously I was like a musical person so <laughs> I when I was a bit younger I was like in the bands and then I was on the stage and like you do a bit of everything and then in year 10 or 11 um they asked me to write the musical because basically mm. in our schools we were so poor like we couldn't afford the right so <laughs> we had to write our own musicals yeah. so they were always original like every year like students wrote them and directed them which That's was amazing so much fun it was amazing so they were like, we want you to do it, but um, it has to be a modern day Romeo and Juliet adaptation. Oh. So I had to, and I can't believe it's perfect to talk about in this podcast, yeah. but like, the, so I had to write basically like with modern day slang set in a high school Romeo and Juliet for a musical. So that was interesting. Mm. And doing it made me realize, yeah, like how annoying the story was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no one's gonna buy any of this. <laughs> no. And how did it turn out um, in the end? Did you get all the accolades? Um, it turned out fine. The two leads that I cast, you know, my friend Ailey. Yeah, yeah, I love Ailey. <laughs> Obviously, she was Juliet because she's beautiful <laughs> and she's like gorgeous of an angel. Mm. Um, so she was the lead. She's Juliet, and then my mate Fraser, I like tricked into being Romeo. Um, <laughs> He and really trick him. He didn't want to do it. I tricked him into singing. It was it was a scene out of a movie. Like we were in the drama room, and I was like, "Just sing. Like it's not an audition. Like we're just 
singing and like the music teacher was like in the background and I was like it's just us just sing and then he sang and the music teacher heard him was like you're hired like you gotta- <laughs> <laughs> you're hired kid you got him it, it was literally like a high school you've seen moment. the red flag when you said it's not an audition <laughs> yeah <laughs> Let me just pull out um, my notepad. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they were excellent. So they, they did amazingly well. And it was like very, you know, like we were using like the slang of the times. The yeah. times being like 2011. Um, oh my so God. <laughs> I can only imagine. The one thing I was really proud of is that, you know, Friar John, he was um, in my adaptation, like just like a uni student who worked at a burger joint and was like a friar, like fried burgers. <laughs> <laughs> he was like friar john i was so proud of that <laughs> interior grilled day yeah. <laughs> literally so like romeo would like go and get a burger after school and ask like friar john for advice that's brilliant like, that, that was like really good but everything that's the else. adaptation i want to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was really silly and i'm sure there's a bunch like must be a ton of like daytime movies that are just like oh my god absolutely all of those like hallmark like american movies that are on in the middle of the day yeah yeah i can't name any of them but i'm sure there are who who can (laughs) (laughs) who can name any of those so this has been a wonderful discussion and i do want to ask just one last question and then i'll let you go but um this is just kind of off the fly i'm very interested to know because fan fiction isn't going anywhere and it's stronger than ever what would you say, like, given everything that we've covered about all of those tropes that have been popularised by Shakespeare, like, all those toxic tropes, whether people are aware of it or not that they're writing it, what would you say to young fan fiction writers who who would want to avoid those sort of tropes or kind of cover a different path from what's been sort of established in the fan fiction scene? Wow, great question. I feel like the answer is obviously diversify your reading, mm-hmm. like read more texts by women and queer writers and non-binary writers. Like that's mm-hmm. an obvious given, but I also would say that it's not a bad thing to write those tropes. It's not a bad thing to explore those ideas in a space where it actually doesn't matter. Like as much as I know that fan fiction is really high stakes for some people, for other people, it's not, it's really low stakes and that's why it's good. Mm. like you can go on a website totally anonymous and write something really fucked up and no (laughs) one ever has to know and that's fine because what happens Mm. is you write it and you can reflect on it later even if it's years later and for me it was years later and I looked back at it and I was like that is all messed up Mm. I used to believe in this why did I used to believe in this so I don't think it's necessarily bad to emulate you know tropes or emulate things you think are romantic especially if you're a teenager like if you're we're talking like 13 14 year olds who mm. are doing this like the world is already on your shoulders it's already hard enough to be a teenage girl yeah um, find your safe spaces in online communities write something if you think it's problematic later down the line that's when you need to analyze what did i think about this why did i think this relationship was fine why did I think this trope was okay to use? And like, I definitely, for one one of my pieces in particular, there was an element of, um, not not between the romantic characters, but there was an element of sexual assault in the story right. that I'd written at a very young age. And now when I look back on it, I'm like, how did I come to a place where I thought including this element of sexual assault was, was contributing to the story because it, it wasn't the basically the female character was assaulted so the male character could save her right. and that's really fucked up yeah. to, to want to make a story about that when I have no lived experience of that and it's not romantic and you know just contributes to more of a trip that women need to be saved by strong men mm. um and had nothing to do with the female at all it was all about the male's emotions it was from the male's character's point of view yeah. It was oh, really detached from the woman's experience in that story. And I think being able to, and, you know, and I was probably 12 or 13. So being able to acknowledge all of that, what that tells me is that that is what Hollywood wants me to think. Like that, you know, that's what other stories had had me to want, want, to want me to think because I'm, I wasn't some bloody, um, you know, 
aficionado author at 12 years old who's coming up with, <laughs> with original ideas. I was a kid. I was just saying like, oh yeah, that sounds like really romantic if this happens. Yeah. Because I'd seen it in other places. So I think diversify your writing, diversify your, your appetite and your, your, what you consume a hundred percent, um, easier said than done because it can be hard at that age to know yeah. where to go for more interesting reads or more diverse reads but also maybe just pay attention to who's writing the things that you, you read and listen to I was really surprised recently you know during isolation me and the girls binged a lot of our old favorite movies like you're clueless mm. um, bring it on step up whatever yeah and we were realizing the ones that we the ones that we really liked were either written or directed by women like mm. like clueless is directed by a oh, woman yeah and um, it's genius death up is written and directed by women and of course like the top tier god level movie we watched dirty dancing last week <sighs> which was directed by a man but written by a woman and the screenplay really is the feature in that film so like even if you just start realizing shit everything i've watched is like written by 50 year old men and i'm a 12 year old girl yeah. what do they know about what i want from a story yeah um, just like be aware of who's writing the stuff you consume and read more fan fiction read more <laughs> fan fiction that's my that's the doctor's prescription read, <laughs> read the kind of fan fiction read fan fiction you think you're not gonna like you know um maybe this that's really hard to say because i don't do that ever but like ships that you weren't previously open to or mm. um alternate universes or original character or like whatever your jam isn't maybe just like give it a go yeah and you might find new authors you really like yeah get on that hamilton au girl <laughs> oh my gosh i haven't even watched hamilton so that's like <gasps> neither have i it's on my list i need to watch it yeah i gotta watch it my jam at the moment is yeah it's very much i'm reading old one direction fan fictions from back in the day oh <laughs> <laughs> bless that, but that is what it is <laughs> uh, and it's what makes you beautiful it is uh, shut up it is it is what makes you <laughs> It is, it is. <laughs> I need to tell the boys tell me every day. <laughs> I need that daily reminder. <laughs> I like oh. first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in the mirror like, I am beautiful. <laughs> I'm beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, <Okay>. Harry. <laughs> Thank you, Harry. Thank and you. Louis. And Louis. And the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think love songs is just like a good sort of... Um, summary of all everything we've just said like love songs oh, yeah. is very like a teen girl sort of vibe non-judgmental like it's just about romance and feeling good intention really mm. about tension um because like love songs did really well on tiktok yeah but it's not really like about anything and i think you know the writer who i'm friends with would be the first person to admit that like it's these two people meet they kind of like have a thing yeah. they have like yeah. one conversation the whole show mm. But that doesn't matter because it's just about the tension between them. Yeah. So that's that's what the audience was there for. It was just like mm. the will they, won't they of it. Mm. Yeah. And I'm definitely gonna link it in the show notes, show notes, and shout it out because I remember when it came out and it just exploded. You got so many millions of views and downloads on that. So definitely go check it out. It's really, really well done. It's such high production quality and so much love went into it. So yeah thanks I, I can't recommend it enough it's fantastic it was a very very fun thing to make mm. written by women directed by women one of them myself mm. so like very female driven project um at love song series on tiktok yep um and we are like we are working on season two <gasps> god you, you guys season two if it works out fingers crossed can't say anything yet but there's a lot yeah. to do it's all very uncertain given coronavirus, but hopefully yes. we can get a season two. That is so exciting. But yes, Michelle, thank you so much for talking with me. That was such a wonderful conversation. So No, my absolute pleasure. I mean, talking about like Duncan on Romeo and Juliet and talking oh, about yeah. gay. <laughs> <laughs> <Sexist> <laughs> baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. So that was Michelle and I talking Shakespeare and fanfiction. The one OTP I just can't help standing. Is that still a cool thing to say? Am I just too crusty of a millennial now? 
Mm, probably. Like, imagine me trying to explain to today's teenagers that Tumblr used to ship Elsa and Jack from Rise of the Guardians back in 2013. Do we still do that? Oh, let me get back to you on that. I really think that we need to talk more about the influence media has, not just on the generalized youth, but the youth that are going to be the next generation of content creators that are either going to break the mold of convention or fit into those molds without even realizing how problematic they may be coming across. But as Michelle said, it should be all right to make mistakes and reflect on them when you're ready to as a creator. It's extremely easy to shame others for doing something that they might not be aware at the time is problematic, and it's even easier to shame yourself for doing that. So take it easy breezy and write some amazing, teary, cringy, sexy, smutty fanfiction. Show E.L. James how it's really done, but maybe do it without slandering the BDSM community. They've already got a tough time as it is. We talked about some incredible things in this episode that I'll be linking in the show notes, including the one-shot podcast where you can get a full taste of the Rilo fanfiction we talk about and readings of fanfictions from the One Direction and series of unfortunate events fandoms. It is such a fun show that Michelle put a lot of love and professionalism into. You will really love it. I promise you that. So go and check it out. And you know what, if that's not your cup of tea, that's totally okay, because you can also go to the Lip Media website, which I will also link in the show notes, where you can find dozens of other incredible shows. I'll also provide the link to Balloon Tree Productions and Michelle's other projects below, including Love Songs on TikTok and the web series Feedback, which is available to watch on YouTube now. And if you haven't seen the documentary I Used to Be Normal, a boy band fangirl story, and you need some I can't even feelings, it's also available to watch on YouTube, Google Play, and iTunes. Thanks again for listening in. I seriously love making this show now more than ever during this pandemic because it's such a great creative outlet for me and I hope you also love these topics being covered and the episodes in general. If there's a point of view on RNJ you think should be taken under the lens or explored a little bit more, feel free to get in touch at our Insta or by email. We'd love to hear what you'd love to hear. But until next time. Stay safe out there on the world of the stage. And do you think teenagers in ye olde England wrote fanfiction about Shakespeare plays? I wonder if there's a Hamlet and Coriolanus slash fic out there waiting to be discovered. Or I might just go write that myself. Hmm. Spicy. Thank you for listening to Bite Your Thumb. Intro and outro music is Minstrel Guild by Kevin McCloyd. You can follow Bite Your Thumb on Instagram at biteyourthumbpod, and for any questions, inquiries, or a sonnet, you can shoot us an email at biteyourthumbpod at gmail.com.